Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Holy Networking, Part 2, and it is part of the new church sermon series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Well, uh, we talked about a guy named Cornelius last week and a guy named Simon Peter. And we talked about Simon Peter uh, was sleeping one day. He's in a place called Joppa, a man's name, we, uh, Simon Tanner's house. And he uh, is uh, taking a nap in the afternoon. And he has a vision. In the vision, there's Animals on a sheet that were non-kosher animals, animals that were forbidden under Jewish law for him to eat. And the Lord commands in Acts chapter 10, verse 13. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 10, by the way. And God commands him to eat, kill and eat. And he said, Lord, I, I won't dare kill and eat that which is unclean. And so the Lord does it again, brings it again. And the Lord says to him, don't call that which I have cleansed unclean. And so Simon Peter not sure what this means. He, he probably is pretty sure this is, this is divine. And when he wakes up, there's a knock at the door downstairs, and it's Cornelius, who happens to be an officer in the Roman army. It's, it's, it's men, men representing him, not himself. But men representing him who show up at the door, and because uh, uh, Cornelius is a, a man of great character, the Bible says, in, uh, also in chapter 10, that he was a man who prayed regularly and who gave gifts to the poor. And, uh, and you read on, you can see inference there that his, 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 his staff was like that. They were also people who, who cared about the poor and honored God. And so um, uh, he had had this dream that he should send for Simon Peter. And that Simon Peter would, would give him the, his next step. Some of you know about that. You come to church and you, you're coming here looking for your next step. Would give him his next step. And so last week, the sermon title was Holy Networking, and I'm going to give the, what I call part two to that this morning and talk about loving people the way God loves people, loving people the way God loves people. And I want to read three passages of Scripture, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This is uh, Peter's conclusion. Then Peter began to speak. Now, he's gone to Cornelius' house at this point, and this is what he's saying. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now that may seem like a strange revelation to you because that's probably not a revelation to you. You probably already strongly believe, especially raised in the 21st century, in these times that you probably already believe that God accepts everybody. But that was a great revelation to Simon Peter. So it doesn't matter what your revelation is. We all need a revelation of something, right? We all need God to show us something. We all, uh, what we don't know is vastly more than what we know. And there's, there's something that I don't know that will uh, be of great benefit to myself in the world if I know it. And there's something that you don't know yet that if, once you know it, it will become of great benefit to you. That's one reason you want to go to a church. That's one reason why you want to be around people who challenge you all the time to think more deeply. 
Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. Then I want to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, because this reiterates the same point of loving people the way God loves people. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of, good of many, so that they may be saved. Okay, so we're in times of great divisiveness and great disrespect in our country. I don't, um, I don't, in my lifetime, I haven't seen things this vitriolic, and I haven't seen things this divided and this polarized, and I haven't seen it, uh, people being this mean-spirited. Uh, I'm not saying it's the worst time in history. There have been a lot of times in history that have been like this, but this is certainly uh, the worst time that I've seen. Uh, I recently saw on the same day uh, two social media posts that kind of epitomizes this, one from a fairly prominent lady uh, who unsuccessfully ran for public office, and she posted, you cannot be a supporter of Donald Trump and be a Christ follower. You can be one or the other, but you can't be both. <laughs> a few posts later, I read, my friend training for an Ironman race biking in the Adirondacks on a desolate back road a little old lady came rip around the corner, screams out of the car, get out of the middle of the road, you long-haired liberal hippie. <laughs> he yells back, I'm not a liberal, I voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> We're kind of at each other's throat, right? Let's talk about our mandate to engage respectfully and try to please everybody in every way with the ultimate aim to introduce people to the idea of becoming fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. I say that to those of you in the room that are Christ followers already. First of all, seeing everyone become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ must be our ultimate aim. That's starting point. For those of us who are serious Christ followers this morning, and I'm quite pleased to, to think that some of you in this room are not serious Christ followers or not Christ followers at all. I'm really glad you're here. We're, we're, a lot of our planning and prayer goes in and, and thinking about the service goes into making sure that you feel welcome and making sure that you're engaged with and making sure we preach and teach and sing in such a way that you will understand and you will take something away from here because we want you to know that God loves you very, very much. And he's glad you're here today, as we are. But for those of you who are serious followers of Christ, and you want to engage with others, and you want to engage with others respectfully, and you want to engage with the culture, I say that according to the book of Acts, which we're preaching this series from and talking about the new church that was birthed in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, I say that seeing everyone become a fully devoted follower of Christ must be our ultimate aim. Notice I use the word ultimate. It's not our only aim, it's our ultimate aim. Because we understand something. We understand that engagement and inclusion are two different things. Engagement is not inclusion. But God wants us to start with engagement. This, this is really very well illustrated one time in Jesus' life when a woman came to him who was a Gentile. <clears throat> and so she comes to him and she wants healing for her daughter. And Jesus says to her, I cannot 
give the children's bread to dogs, which sounds like a very rude thing to say, and I suppose it was. So without trying to unpack why Jesus said it the way or what it meant, I won't take the time to do that, but uh, Jesus was obviously turning down her request. <laughs> and um, she said, but Lord, well, sorry, I, I need to finish what Jesus said. Jesus said, it is not right to give the, the children's bread to dogs. Did I say that already? Okay, I said that already. It is not right to give the children's bread to dogs. Now, who are the children? The children are, are Jews. The children are the descendants of Abraham. And she said, she said, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. And then Jesus granted her the healing that she had asked for. Now, that's a very important little story because it tells us a couple of things. It tells us, for one thing, that the problem before Christ came was about relationship. It tells us that we are saved by relationship. We're saved because we are included in the, fa we're included in the family of God by a relationship within the family of God. And before Christ died on the cross, that inclusion was through Abraham and the law of Moses. Abraham and the Torah was your path to be connected to Almighty God. So Jesus said to that woman, he was saying to that woman, you are not God's child. Because to be God's child, you must be related to Abraham. No wonder the Jews got upset at the Christians. Because <laughs> Jesus died on the cross. And now, everybody's being engaged in as though they're a candidates to be children of God. And Jesus, another thing Jesus was doing in that story, because he healed her, he was letting us know there's a difference in engagement and inclusion. He was letting us know that you can bring a person healing before they're a part of the family of God. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, all who were oppressed of the devil. That tells me he was healing people. He was removing people's demonic influences from their life who were not children of the Lord yet, who were not a part of the family of God. And that is a huge revelation. That is a huge revelation. That's, that's a huge revelation to, the, to, this, the, to this New Testament group of people that we're supposed to engage with every human being. So engagement is not inclusion, though. Inclusion, here's the thing about inclusion, and I'm not sure inclusion is the best word, but it's the best word I can think of. Uh, inclusion is the Holy Spirit's job. It is not even your job. It is the Holy Spirit's role. And, and let, me, let me prove that to you in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Uh, Peter's at Cornelius' house. He's in a Gentile's house, a non-Jew. This was like scandalous for him to even be there, for him to be, be there and, and sharing hospitality. And in, to, be, to be there and engaging with them is considered wrong. And listen what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. <laughs> the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, and said some other stuff that I'm not going to read. So <laughs> who, who put them in the family of God? Was it Simon Peter? 
Who put them in the family of God? The Holy Spirit put them in the family of God. The Holy Spirit, all Peter did was engage. The Holy Spirit included. In fact, I have a theory about why the Holy Spirit came on them while Peter was still speaking. Because I believe Peter had the limo ready, running out at the curb. And he was just waiting until he said his last amen and he was going to say the benediction and he was going to run for the car as fast as he could to try to keep this horrible thing from happening. To try to, because he knew he was going to have to go back eventually to Jerusalem and answer to all the other leaders what in the heck was he doing in the house of an Italian Roman soldier preaching the good news. I don't know if that's true, but it's what I think. Engagement is a means and not an end. But we must, this is really important, we must engage as though every engagement is a victory. In fact, when, a, when, a, when a, an attorney and a lawyer came to Jesus and said, how can I have eternal life? Jesus tells him the story of you all know the story really well, the, great, the Good Samaritan. Everybody knows that story, the Good Samaritan. This Samaritan along the road sees a man who's been beaten, robbed, mugged, probably dying. And not unlike the priest and the Levite, the temple servants, the temple employees who walked right by, he gets down where the man is, and he stops everything he's doing, and he puts oil and wine in his wounds. He puts him on his donkey, and he carries him to an inn where he pays the, the bill and says, when I come back, if I owe anything else, I will pay it. I will take care of it. And he went on, and, and the Bible says nothing about who that man was, what his identity was, whether he became a, a Christ follower, whether he became, whether he started going to synagogue. We know nothing about it because Jesus, Jesus knows that when you love another person, and you share your life with another person, when you engage with another human being, it is a victory for you. It is a success for you. It is a success for the kingdom of God when you share what you have and who you are and you share your life or you share your home or you share your automobile or you share your money or you share your, 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 your empathy with another human being, you are fulfilling the mandate of the kingdom of God and you have achieved a victory. I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit will start showing up when you start engaging. The Holy Spirit will start showing up. I got involved with a group of guys in Milford a while back. Went to some meetings, so I got to know some different people in the meeting. One day I get a phone call from one of the people that I had met in these meetings. And he d described a problem to me. And he said, I, I, I feel like I need to forgive. He felt like, he said, would you come and can I talk to you about that? And I said, sure. I said, it sounds like to me, I, I said, that, that's forgiveness is a good thing. It sounds like to me, though, that, you, you, that what, what, what your heart is crying out for is justice. You see a situation where there's injustice and you feel like justice needs to be done. I said, I'll be glad to talk about it. And well, he, he had asked me, do you have anything I can read on, for, on this, on forgiveness? I said, yeah, I got a great book. And I had Dr. 
some of you remember Dr. Hebel who spoke to, spoke to us about forgiveness. I think, I think Dr. Hebel is the best I've ever heard on the subject of forgiveness. And his book is just the best I've ever seen on the subject of forgiveness. So I happen to have a copy on my shelf. And so I, I, I get in my car and I go over to the person's office. And I'm sitting out in front of their office and I got the book in the seat beside me, and I'm staring at it as I sat out there in front of the car, thinking about what am I going to say, and I had this little question, well, is forgiveness the right thing I should be talking about today, and the phone rings, my phone rings, and I haven't talked to Bruce Hebel in, whenever they were here, was it three years ago, two years ago, the phone ring, it was Dr. Bruce Hebel on the phone. I'm telling you, if you start engaging with people, the Holy Spirit starts showing up and things start happening. Don't worry about, you know, a lot of you are worried about whether you're going to be good at it. You're worried about whether you're going to be skilled at it. Some of you may think, well, that's a pastor's job. No, you know what? And I've said this before, and I didn't get this, it's not original. Uh, I got it from uh, Robert Morris. Robert Morris, in one of the Bible studies we did with, with, with Robert Morris out from Texas. A lot of good things come from Texas, man. And uh, when, when I do that kind of thing, which I talked about last week, I'm not being a pastor. I'm being a saint. Read it for yourself. The Bible says God has, give, put, God has raised up pastors in other offices to equip the saints for ministry. I'm being a pastor right now. I'm being a teacher right now. But when I go to a person's home or to their hospital and I minister to the suffering and I try to alleviate people's suffering, I'm not being a pastor. I'm being a saint. How many of you, raise your hand if you're a saint. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, start engaging with people. Start ministering to people, all right? Now, like I said, engagement and inclusion are different. Inclusion is when a person surrenders and pledges their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Someone tweeted this the other day. Tomorrow morning, I will swear my allegiance to this country and become an American citizen. I'm so excited. We need to teach that concept again. We need to teach the concept of allegiance to Christ. We need, we, we, need to, we need to once again teach people that, that, that coming to faith in Christ is not merely believing that Jesus died for your sins. It's not merely believing that Jesus rose again. Now, that's important that you believe that. It's very important that you believe that. But the Bible says that demons believe, and demons even tremble. So believing that Jesus rose from the dead and believe that Jesus died for your sins is not enough to make that great transaction that puts you in, in the family of God and in the kingdom of God. But... The, the, if, if you study the word faith, the word, Greek word is pistis, and it means, it means uh, fidelity. It means allegiance. And in fact, there's a, there's a great illustration back in, in uh, the uh, historian Josephus writes about a, a general, and I know I've shared this once, one time before, but let me share it again for those who might have missed it. Uh, a general conquers, wins a battle over another general, and he's, he's got the opposing general, the defeated general, is on his knees in front of him, and he looks at him and pointed his finger. And this, this, so this would have been the language of the day. This would have happened 
a few years before Jesus appeared, and he said to him, do you believe in me? Now, he wasn't saying, do you know if I exist? He wasn't saying, do you believe that, that I, my name is whatever? He was saying, do you surrender? So, so uh, the term getting saved means surrender. The gospel, uh, Matthew Bates said, the gospel is a power-releasing story of how Jesus becomes king. And the only adequate response is allegiance alone. You understand that? That the, 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 the early apostles, what the message they were preaching is that Jesus is now king. That Jesus is now in charge of the world. <laughs> there, there's a, you see this engagement and inclusion very clearly in Luke chapter 13, verse 23. And it's not, these, by the way, if you're looking at the app, you're going to have a lot more notes than the people that aren't. So I encourage you to download the app so you can, you can have the notes. And then we put, I put scriptures in there because I don't want to have too many images going up on the screen. So I hope you will, hope you'll take the second, the second thing is I hope you'll start taking notes. I really encourage you to become a note taker and begin to write some things down. Not only what you're hearing me say, but what God is saying to you, right? So, we look in Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter what will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, open the door first, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, now listen, this is really important. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you. And you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you came from. What is he saying there? He's saying that he's not denying that he ate and drank with them and that he was with them in their streets. So there was engagement, but they never accepted him. They never saw him as the door to the kingdom of God. They denied him as the kingdom of God. So there's a difference. And, and, and you, we need to stop, you know... We need to stop worrying about that. We need to stop worrying about whether people are bowing the knee to Christ. That is, in, yes, you're responsible to preach the gospel. Yes, you're responsible to articulate the gospel. But bowing the knee to Christ requires the work of the Spirit in a person's heart. Re bowing the knee to Christ, they must have a revelation from God, but they won't have that revelation if you don't get in their life. If you don't get in their life, if Jesus... If, if Jesus had fulfilled his responsibility by going to the world and eating and drinking with us and teaching us. He fulfilled his responsibility, and it's up to our connection with the Holy Spirit to find out what God is doing or to find out our place in the kingdom of God. Derek Rimshmawe, which I don't know if I pronounced that right, but who else would correct me, right? He wrote a great article the other day entitled, How to Really Be Inclusive Like Jesus. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is, why are you talking about this, Pastor? The reason I'm talking about this because I know how in inclusivity is a really big deal today. It's a really big deal in our culture, and, and it should be, because it's a very painful thing to be ex excluded. It's a very painful thing to be excluded socially or, or in society, to be pushed to the bottom of the hierarchy. It's a very painful thing, and it's a very difficult thing, and we don't really know what to do about it or how to solve that problem necessarily. And so, I, I, but, but I want to talk about it, it's very important, because, because God has called us 
to engage with people. God has called us to engage with people uh, outside of our tribe. I said, God has called us to engage with people outside of our tribe, and, and you, need to, you need to be aware of the Holy Spirit's role in including them, and you need to see that as a goal. But if, if we don't begin to engage in love and care, then the, engage, the inclusion won't happen. And, but here's something that uh, this author says. Traditionalists are often accused of being gatekeepers trying to keep people out of God's kingdom. It's precisely the traditionalist desire, and I don't like the word traditionalist, that's the word he used. It's precisely the traditionalist desire to include people in the kingdom that drives their opposition to the wrong sort of inclusion. It's precisely because they hate the idea of seeing anyone excluded from the kingdom of God that they insist we not offer inclusion on false premises. So it's not my job to go around telling people, oh, you're, you're in the kingdom of God, you're saved. No, that's not my job. They will tell me when they're saved. They will tell me when Christ has become their greatest treasure. My job is to be Jesus before them. My job is to be Christ. My job is to manifest and embody everything about the personality and everything about the, everything about the ministry of Jesus Christ and everything about his compassion and everything about his truth and everything about his love. My job is to embody every bit of that before them and pray and work and, and talk to the point that they will make that decision to become a follower. I want everybody to become a follower of Christ, but I'm not going to stop engaging with those who will never become followers of Christ. You know, I don't know if you, some of you are probably not familiar with this doctrine called the doctrine of election. And uh, if you come from a reform background, that's what you believe. That's okay with me. Because I like what, uh, I like what Charles Spurgeon said one time. He said, uh, the more I witness, and, and if you're new to church, witness is a word we use for telling people about Jesus and telling people the good news that Jesus died for their sins and it's coming again. So that's what that word means. Uh, but so Charles Spurgeon said, the more I witness, and the more I witness, the more people get elected. <laughs> I, I like that. Because <laughs> Charles Spurgeon believed in that doctrine of election. Okay. Engaging, we, we engage with the goal. Our ultimate aim is that every person become a follower of Christ. But the second thing I want to tell you is engaging with respect and the dignity of a divine image bearer is what we owe every person. I owe it to every person that I see, regardless of their religious belief, regardless of their race, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of what they're into, regardless, I have an obligation to treat them as a divine image bearer. Every person that you know bears the image of God. I know Dennis Burrell's back here. I hope everybody's making Dennis and Donna feel welcome. I am so honored that Dennis and Donna Burrell, uh, two of my best friends in the world, would just come here and come to services. They don't have to come here. I wouldn't be angry at them if they went to somebody else's church, even though they're using our electricity and our water. And... and and what else? I don't know what else. There, there might be in the refrigerators around for all I know. Uh, but I'm just so honored. And, and I, Dennis, you said something to me one time. Uh, you, you made this statement. 
you said, we give everyone dignity and we give some people discipleship. And I thought that is a profound statement. We give everyone dignity and some we give discipleship. If you don't know what the word discipleship means, the word discipleship means helping someone become a devoted follower of Christ. Teaching someone how to become a devoted follower of Christ. And you know, it's a funny thing happened. I woke up at like three this morning and I felt like I really, and, and you can judge this and you can say it's of God or not of God. I don't know. But I felt like the Holy Spirit just woke me up and said, Phil, I want your church to become known as a church that will walk alongside those people who really want to be devoted followers of Christ. I want your church to become known as a place where if you want to have someone walk with you to become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and resemble him in, in the different aspects of their life, then I, I want your church to become known for that in this community. So are you up for that? You up for that? Let's do it. Acts 11.3, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when they went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It wasn't a question. It was a statement and a statement filled with horror. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Let's look at back at those sentences in, two, in 1 Peter 2, 17 and 1 Corinthians 10, 33. Look back at those sentences. Treat everyone you meet with dignity, he said. Even as I try to please everybody in every way. Do, do you try to please everybody in every way? Do you treat everyone you meet with dignity? Engagement is when you make whatever you have and whatever you are accessible to others. You know, I'm so driven by these passages and the ethic they represent. Loving as God loves is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the slothful. It's not for the prideful. It's not for the oblivious. Loving as God loves means you make whatever you have and whatever you are accessible to others. Jack Easterby said the other day, the consistent pursuit of average is camouflaged in days logged without purpose, conversations had without authenticity, and promises made without follow-up. Wow, that bites. You know, most of us, know how to engage with children. Most of us know how to engage with children. Most of us do a pretty good job of it. I just had uh, my Ellie, one and a half year old Ellie, and she was in our home for most of this last past week. And she likes to watch Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> she loves Yo Gabba Gabba. Guess what I watched this week? Yo, Gabba Gabba. Wiggle, 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 go. Wiggle, 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 go. Wiggle, 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 wiggle stop. <laughs> huh? She'll do that with you if you do that. We know how to engage with little people. We, 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 we want to make them smile, right? You want to make them laugh. 
You, you want to get what they want to eat. You want to take them out for ice cream. You, we know, but, but some of us have a three and a half foot rule. When anybody reaches three and a half foot, and they begin to resemble a full-size human, they are no longer worthy of someone trying to make them happy. They're no longer worthy of having you watch what they want to watch or eat what they want to eat or go where they want to go. It must be quite a shock when you're, you're, you're a foot tall or two foot and everybody's catering to you and everybody's wanting to make you happy and everybody's trying to make you laugh and all of a sudden you're four foot tall and nobody wants to make you laugh anymore and nobody cares. Christ will put back in you the spirit that will treat people as well as you treat your children. As, and, and I know there's somebody in the room who doesn't, doesn't treat their children well, and, and God help you. You know, and I pray for you that you'll get help today. But like Simon Peter, we ultimately we adopt a tribe with which, which we engage with generosity and joy. That's what we do in life. We, we adopt a tribe. And that tribe may be three people, 300 people, or 3 million. And the glue that holds our tribe together may be blood, it may be uh, political affiliation, it may be race, it may be culture, it may be beliefs, it may be convictions, it may be interests, it may be personality, it may be, uh, it may be substances like drugs or alcohol, it might be religion, it might be economic status, it might even be resentment. There's nothing that binds people together twice, quite as much as resentment when they all don't like the same person. <laughs> but assignment number one. Oh, listen to me, church. This is vision, vision sermons this, this summer. Assignment number one for the church was other tribes. They should have had a clue when the curse of Babel was reversed at the greatest display of multilingual praise and worship in the history of humanity. I'm talking about, for those of you who don't know, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and they began to praise God and every person from every nation in that crowd heard the praises of God in their own language. The early church should have had a clue that God intended for this to be about other tribes. We see in the book of Acts the unfolding for the world's divine image bearers. And I, whoa, I wish I had time to go to all these texts and really look at them. But in preparation for this message, I studied all the way from Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 12. And I saw what the theme that I saw that the Holy Spirit was weaving. You, I hope you don't think the Bible was just accidental. I hope you don't think that there's not a theme that's being weaved that we're supposed to observe and study and notice. But you see, first of all, you see in Acts chapter 6, there were Greek-speaking widows. They were, they were Jewish, but they were Greek-speaking. And the church began to neglect them in the daily serving of food. These widows, they were widows, so they were completely dependent on the church for their food. And they began to be neglected in the daily serving of food. And the apostles stepped in and they appointed deacons. And when they did it, the church began to grow again. And God began to bless the church again because God was telling them, I don't want you to neglect people. I don't want you to neglect people who are a little different. 
I want you to care about them. And then you get down to Acts chapter 8 and you see an evangelist named Philip who went out and preached. And he preached in a place called Samaria. Dennis, you were saying to me the other day that you thought the Samaritans were, were uh, equal to today's Muslims. And I, I think I, I did a little research on that and I think they were kind of a bridge. There's kind of a bridge. There are 800 Samaritans in the world left today. And they're kind of a bridge between, they're in the middle there, between Muslims and Jews. And, and Philip goes down and he engages. He didn't stay in Jerusalem and pray for the Samaritans. He did what you're supposed to do and I'm supposed to do. He went and he engaged with the Samaritans. And what do you know? They got saved. What do you know? They started getting the Holy Spirit. What do you know? They, they bought into the message of the kingdom. And their identity as Christians became greater than their identity as Samaritans. That's kind of what happens to you when you get saved, right? And then we, we go to the end of chapter, Acts chapter 8, around verse 9. And this guy named Simon the sorcerer, a sorcerer, a witch, he comes out and hears that. Now, he probably hadn't read the Torah. Because if he had read the Torah, he'd have read Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. A man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. I guess the apostles forgot their copy of the Torah that day. And they obeyed the Holy Spirit. And they offered the gospel to Simon. And Simon became a Christ follower. Isn't that great? Jesus is saving the world. Don't believe, don't believe what you're seeing on Twitter and, 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 and all those other social media platforms. And don't believe, what, don't believe that's what's really happening in the world. What's really happening in the world is that God is building his kingdom. God is building his kingdom. I've talked to some of our, our Egyptian friends here in the last few months about they will tell you stories that will make your hair stand on your head about how Muslims in, in the Middle East are accepting Jesus Christ. They're having visions and dreams of the Messiah, of Christ. And, and Palestinians on the West Bank, there's, 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 hundreds, there's thousands, there's thousands of Palestinians on the West Bank that are in small groups devoted to worshiping Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Everything is okay. Everything is on track and everything's on schedule. Let me, let me finish up here this morning with this point. The reward for our availability to engage is the, and the boy, this, is, this might make even, even a New Englander get excited. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the reward for our availability is that we get to be Christ's greatest earthly treasure. I was praying the other day and I was thinking, you know, I've been doing this, pastoring this church for 32 years. And uh, I, I have a lot to praise God for in terms of people and, and their love and their support and people growing and changing. And there's a lot of you here this morning just uh, have been wonderful. But there's been a lot of failures too. There's been a lot of people who walk away from faith. And, and there's more of those than there are those who don't, honestly. 
And uh, in fact, I was just engaged with somebody and I, and I poured a lot of time into somebody quite recently. Met with them many times, got them involved in, in, in many ways and just did everything I could and it's kind of, not, it's kind of going south right now. And so I asked the Lord, I said, why do I keep wanting to do it? I don't understand myself. What is wrong with me? Why do I want, I, I feel just as excited about trying to engage with the next person and trying to get them to, trying to first minister to their, I, I'm, I'm, I have an empathy drive and, and, and so I'm very motivated by people's pain and I want to help people stop hate hurting. I want to help their pain. And, but ultimately I want them to become devoted followers of Christ. But then it goes south and it goes south a lot. I said, God, why do I keep doing it? And, and I really believe God spoke to me. And here's what I heard. You love my approval. That was like, I, I don't know. That just hit me so hard. I thought, you know, that, that's it. That's it. Yes, it's about them, and I care about them, and I love them. But it's about something I feel, I see God smile. I feel Jesus Jumping for joy. I, something, the people on earth that are putting their lives on the line to engage others in the gospel are Jesus, Jesus Christ's treasure on earth. And, and let me prove it with one verse. And we're going to get back. Don't, I know some of you are like, when are you going to talk about Apostle Paul? How can you preach in Acts and Paul? Well, we'll get back to Paul later. We just did a whole series on him. We'll get back to Paul later. But I'm going to only give you one verse from Paul and his conversion. That's back in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9. That we leapfrogged over, sorry. But here's Paul. Here's Saul. If you don't know who Saul was, he was, he was a, a zealous Jew who thought he was fulfilling the history of zealotry in the Jewish faith by taking care and getting rid of people who brought a curse and brought plagues on the nation of Israel by their unfaithfulness. And he viewed these Christians as a threat, and he viewed them as bringing a curse and bringing potential plagues on the nation of Israel if he didn't stop them, and he's on his way to stop them. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, who was he persecuting? He was persecuting the people who were engaging other people with the goal of making them devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to Saul, They are me. They are my greatest treasure on earth. And Saul had to realize at that moment, Saul had to realize that he was literally torturing and killing his Messiah. And he had to learn, he learned about the value of Jesus and he learned something else. Now listen carefully. He learned, uh-oh, a transaction has occurred so that the Messiah is now living in and through a group of people 
that we would later call Christians. Therefore, when I kill a Christian, I am killing Christ because Christ is living in and through a Christian. Christ is living in and through a redeemed person. Christ is living in and through a person who has sworn their allegiance to Christ. Therefore, whatever I do to them, I'm doing to Christ. And whatever they do for me, Christ is doing for me. Does anybody understand that? Man, that, man, that is, that's, that should explain the mission of the church. We are Jesus. So, let me conclude. It's a good thing that you've come to church. I want our prayer partners to come and get in place right now, please. It's a good thing you've come to church. I hope we made you feel better and made you feel welcome. But there's something better than coming to church. And that's to be the church. Did you know that God was attracted to Cornelius because he was interested in being something as well as believing something? Acts chapter 10 verse 2 says, Cornelius, a devout God-fearing man as, he was, as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon about 3 o'clock he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel and the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, I love that scripture because it tells me as I come to Christ, I'm saying, Christ, I want to be saved. And Christ, I want to be the person. I want to be a good person. I want to be a good person and I want to receive personal salvation. I want both to happen because it was all in the same package with Cornelius as God wants it to be with you. So I hope some of you will come down for prayer today and you will say, listen, pray for me. I want to receive Christ and I want to be the person in the world that Christ has created me to be. I want Christ to live in me and through me by faith. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word. We pray that it will take root in our hearts, and we pray for that person who's not made a decision to become a Christ follower, that today will be their day. We pray for that person who has become a Christ follower, but they haven't let the Spirit lead them to engage. They haven't let the Spirit lead them to look around and raise their eyes to what you call the harvest field and see that there are people who need them, people who are suffering who need them to minister to their pain, people that are used to being retaliated against who need someone who will not retaliate against them but will treat them with forgiveness and compassion and love. Release us to be the church today in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, these prayer partners are here and they're waiting to pray with you. We have communion here and communion in the back. So let me encourage you today to enter into response time and spend some time with the Lord before you go about your day.